Hello, my name's Tamara and I live in this flat. Hello, my name's Lily and I don't live in this flat. <laughs> Although I'm here often enough that I might as well be. You have your own drawer. I do. Um, and we do keep one of your inhalers here for like emergencies. <laughs> yeah. I should bring over an EpiPen as well. It's probably quite sensible. You probably sensible. should. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, maybe bring some underwear and pyjamas. Yeah. I mean, I should clarify, you live a five minute walk down the road. I do. Yes. But sometimes... Who can be asked to go home? <laughs> exactly. You know? I've even got a teddy bear here. You do. <laughs> His you name do is Norman. Norman. He's a Norman. penguin. <laughs> he is a penguin. And he was very needed a few months ago when I was feeling sad and he made me feel better. But yeah, I, I have moments sometimes when I'm at your flat and I am just like, do you know what? That's a really comfy day bed they've got in the study. Maybe I should just spend the night. But usually I don't because my housemate is with me. And I'm like, no, okay, well, both of us can't stay. We will walk back. It's only a five minute walk. <laughs> but now, so I have just made the largest purchase of my adult life um, because me and my partner have just bought an actual proper sofa that didn't come from Ikea and wasn't bought when we were really broke. And so we've just bought like a proper sofa bed and it's pocket sprung. <laughs> It looks so comfortable. It's going to be so much more comfortable than anything else in our flat. <laughs> I now know that there's no way I'm leaving the sofa. You know? <laughs> I will just come over and curl up in a corner. And the colour is beautiful. So Lily's obsessed with the colour orange. Uh, so usually if you're going to get her a gift or something, you, you just can't go wrong with getting something orange related. I love it deeply. Yeah. Um, and her partner has agreed that they can get an orange sofa. Now, before you think, oh my gosh, monstrous, vibrant, bright orange, it is a gorgeous colour. It's called Foxy. So it's like a autumnal orange. It's so beautiful and I can't I'm wait to very, christen it very with my arse. Absolutely. <laughs> arse christening will be happening. Anyway... <laughs> Sofas aside, welcome back to Ogmunt and Squeak. I am Squeak. And I'm Ogmunt. And we're back for more ramblings of various things. Meandering conversations that uh, don't really have a beginning, middle or end. <laughs> if that's what you're into, you're in the right place. If you want structure, you're going to need to go somewhere else. Yeah, that's, that's not us. So I was thinking one of the things we could potentially have a chat about this time is attempt number two at Discovery of Witches. <laughs> He's trying to discuss it. I mean, I, I like the idea that going forward, we're always going to try and have this discussion, uh, but it's just never going to go anywhere. <laughs> I think we've got to make a genuine attempt, though. Well, the, the genuine attempt of us discussing a discovery of witches is probably going to be you mentioning things and me being like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. OK, cool. Yeah. Because I haven't read the book in two years but I have watched season one and season two as of January this year. But I have a memory like a sieve. So I remember how beautiful Matthew is and how much I love Diana. But the details, they do escape me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. As with all things. It's reasonably fresh in my mind. I uh, rewatched the first series. I've still not seen the second one. We're going to watch it together. Yeah. Oh my God. And we can, we can talk about that on the podcast. We'll do it like week by week. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, but me and my mum watched it together and she absolutely adored them. And then because I bought the book on my Kindle, my dad then bought the trilogy on his Kindle and then he's been passing the Kindle around the family. <laughs> so my dad, is his approach to it was, well, he'll read anything. Like he's, just as long as it's something that he could potentially, he loves reading books other people are also reading because it means that he can do the discussion. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really mind what the actual book is. And so he finished reading it and he was like, it's a bit, bit too much romance for me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's putting it politely. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, it was, this was really interesting. He really, really liked the, the mythology yeah. and the way, the way that they approached the sort of wider sort of supernatural community. He did think it was really interesting. It's the idea of, I always want to say daemons. It is demons because it just feels wrong saying demons because it's not like they're fiery devil people. Yeah. They and I I did the same with um, Northern Lights. With yes, I always said demons. Demons. I do the same with my uh, trashy dark hunter books that also have demons in them. Just easier. (laughs) Easier for my mind to translate that word into that sound. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things I really liked about the way that, what's her name? Deborah. Deborah Deborah Harkness. Harkness, The way that she approached writing demons into, demons, (laughs) writing demons into history was she made several notable figures, demons. Yes. But she didn't make all notable figures, demons. Yeah. It was one of the things that Matthew says, and I can't remember if it's the second or third book was he you know he met certain historical figures and was surprised they weren't demons yeah. you know allowing he did, she didn't take away all genius and excellence from humanity yes yeah um, which i think would have been very tempting yeah definitely i i do wish that uh, deborah darling had explained better what a demon is yeah, and no what it concept. can do because having read the trilogy and seen the TV show seasons one and season two and read the world of darkness, um, I have no idea, no idea what a demon actually is and what the consistent well, I think that mythology was... really is around them. Yeah. I other can... than, you know, intelligent, yeah. <laughs> gifted, <laughs> savant-like. Yeah. I, I think... It also falls into that whole like genius close to madness thing. Yes. With the, the demons where the thing that threatened them most was the sort of madness that came along yeah. with and the intense loneliness and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And I can't work out if I think that what she did with the demons is clever in that they didn't know what, what their origins are. So as a narrator, she wasn't coming in and filling in bits yeah. that nobody yeah. knew. Um, or if it was just lazy world building. <laughs> <laughs> so I fall on the side of lazy world building because I, I, I don't think... Uh, to leave such a massive hole in the history and our understanding, the fact that one of the number one questions that is posted online about the series is, what the hell are demons? Like, what is so special about them? Like, how can you tell because with witches you know what that is they explain it very well and and granted that's because the book is from a witch's perspective but also historically we know what a witch is 
spells and potions and whatnot. Mm. Um, and it and really does feed into the European tradition for yes, witchcraft as yes. well. Yes. Uh, so we understand that. She expands on that. Uh, she gives us examples of uh scandinavian witchcraft british witchcraft and american which are all very very interlinked with each other and then vampires it's very clear in the books um she adheres to the idea of like vampires being able to walk out in sunlight and all of that kind of stuff and them not being affected by uh religious um iconography and whatnot but they suck blood and they're immortal yeah. Um, it's the basics. It's the basics. We get that. Yeah. Demons, on the other hand, I'm like, so you're clever. And like the main demons that we interact with, uh, one is a fashion designer, the one who's on the council. Yeah. And then her son is into computers. Like a webmaster and, and stuff like that. And then his wife, who's also a demon, descended from a witch. Sees visions. Oh, makes pots. And then she sees visions. But is that because she's because a witch? because she's a witch more. And then the friend of the vampire is a London financier. But the whole idea being that he's very atypical. Yes. For her. And, and because you really don't meet many demons, you certainly don't meet them. Like, none of them are central characters in yeah. the same way that the other, yeah. you know. Um, you learn a lot about the witches and the vampires. Yeah. You learn about their history. Exactly, and I, I really do feel like there was a bit of a trick missed. But at the same time, it's you know she's indicated quite clearly that she plans this, this to be an extended universe. Yes. She's going to continue writing in this, and it might be that this is just the witch vampire centric one, and we'll see a, a more demon specific book in the future. And I, I thought it was interesting that because obviously the central sort of focus especially for the trilogy if you're looking at it in broad is the whole quest for the book of life and yeah. why all three of these supernatural varieties are so intensely looking at it looking for it the you know the vampires think it answers the question of how they were created um, yeah. the witches think it was the original uh, grimoire yeah. who who could explain how to undo vampires and that kind of thing <laughs> but the, for the demons that they just want to know where they came from yes and and I, I wished that that was explored more and hopefully it will be in the future because mm. I, that that was the most wholesome of reasons of wanting the book of life compared to the other two yeah demons just being like hey who are we because i also the the part that wasn't explored much and again because it wasn't really part uh, it, um done from demon perspectives is the fact that they're not allowed to congregate they're yeah. not allowed to have groups of more than like two of them or something like that like they can't interact with each other online and they can't meet up all together uh and i'm just like tell me more why what is going on well i also think that could be because you've got the vampires who are in this weird and it constantly annoys me when people use um wolf behaviors oh yeah in supernatural because it, it they well, always wolf behaviors that aren't actually wolf at, behaviors well, actually, yeah <laughs> that have been consistently disproved by so many zoologists yes. it's just like that's just not you're you're putting a lot on wolves that just wolves are not interested in okay uh take your alpha and omega yeah you know? take, take your obo elsewhere please <laughs> hashtag real wolves 
Um, but the vampires feel very uh, clan-like. Yes. And very it, typical politics, Venice. Yeah. Um, it feels very yes. VTM. Like, yes. Vampire it, the Masquerade, yes. definitely. Yeah, it, it just feels very typical oh well we're vampires therefore we're inherently mysterious and because we live for super long we're super rich and we've got all of these complicated ties to other vampires and respect we're so, and... We're so edgy <laughs> yeah exactly it's the edgy boys in the corner mm-hmm. um and then witches it was all about community and you know it's constantly mentioned throughout the book that a safe place for a witch to be is when she's integrated with the community around yeah. her and all about covens yeah and even beyond covens, integrating yourself with humans. Yes. In a way that makes you helpful to them so yeah. they don't turn on you. Yeah, not standing out too much. Yeah. Um, it, like, it, to the extent that it wouldn't surprise me to discover in a later book series that, like, the Women's Institute is run by witches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I think that would be some really fun world building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it turns out they were the, the people behind the UN. Like... <laughs> women's hour on the bbc like (laughs) it just makes sense um but with demons i i felt like it was a really good dialogue on um for me it 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 worked with a sort of an lgbt side like point of view because you are born into a family who don't have any knowledge of the supernatural potentially all you know is that you're different and that you're something about you is different to the other people around you um, quite often different is reacted to with fear, mockery, bullying, you know, there's, and it was one of those things that they were constantly talking about how many demons don't make it to adulthood. That's so interesting. Cause now this is just proving that I, it's been so long for me since I read the books because they don't really cover that in the TV show. Mm. Um, and that exploration of like the feeling the other um, is is really interesting, and I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. Yeah, and I'd completely forgotten that demons were born from Normal muggle people, the muggles, <laughs> the muggle families. Um, so yeah, so actually having a like a queer perspective on that of you know I am different, I am other, I am completely different to my family. Um, they might not accept my eccentricities or my uh abilities and whatnot it's so interesting i really hadn't thought about that because i think the one that so one of the the demons that you actually find out what his life growing up was was um was it hayden no hayden christensen (laughs) (laughs) no you'd just be yelling about sand in a corner like (laughs) uh, adrian hadrian demon number three I don't know. The financier. But you know, the best mate. Oh, the best mate. Yeah, the one whose name I don't think I I ever actually clicked on. I think it's Hamish. Hamish! Hamish. It's Hamish. Hamish. Yes. As soon as you said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Hamish describes the way that he was sort of identified as being a demon. And it was because another demon noticed him and then effectively sat his parents down and had a talk and explained things to him and. Um, he then went to the local university really young because his, you know, it's, he wasn't fitting in the classes. He was, nothing was making yeah. him, uh, making his brain 
fire. You know? Yeah. So he was a baby gay who got picked up by yeah, yeah, yeah. an older gay. <laughs> an older gay was like, "Let me teach you the ways, my young Padawan." <laughs> exactly. And I just think, uh, and the way that they talked about it, he. I mean, there's that bit in the TV series where um, Matthew's talking to Hamish, and Hamish kind of pulls him up and says like it's not just the vampires that are interested in this yes demons have a right to it too it's yeah. the where we need to know where we came from and i know there were moments with matthew where i'm like you're a dick oh yeah straight <laughs> so up dick. yeah um uh especially in the second book you're just like i'm gonna smack you mm-hmm. um but that moment with hamish where i'm like dude you're like so busy being an edgy boy and being dramatic about yeah. the fact that you might be lo- like loving someone that you are completely ignoring the fact that you've got somebody next to you who has never had the security you have mm-hmm. of knowing where you come from and what you are mm. like this is <gasps> Lily oh my gosh we're now like oh this is like becoming so this is okay so okay let me collect myself for a moment so last episode we complained about our english degrees okay and about how an english degree is just getting disappointed by old white men all the time but fundamentally one of the things that i loved about uh, our english degree is how much you look into the stories that are being told and how they reflect um our lives and the lives of others and all of these different things and how everything can be you know connected and all of that and this is just what you're saying now. I am connecting to so much in terms of our friendship, not you being a dick, because literally you're not a dick in any way. Um, she's <clears throat> lying. I am a dick. No, she's a cunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously, you, we were just talking before we did this podcast about your uh, was it your grandmother or your great grandmother, and you were talking about family history and and knowing these different things um about you know because we're talking about like uh, medical stuff yeah um, so knowing your family's medical history yeah can make it easier for doctors yeah to... and 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 i just had that that moment of listening to that and being like oh shit i'm on the side of hamish i don't know anything about my family uh i you know couldn't even tell you the names of my grandparents let alone anything else um, and I just really hadn't connected that kind of, you know, the the demons are essentially the orphans of the world. They are the forgotten. They are the, the left behind uh, whilst the, the vampires and the, the witches have these rich tapestries of history um, and connectedness with each other. The fact that, you know, there's a... Uh, the vampires have their conclave and they have their their families. Um, you know, you are, if you sire another vampire, you are that p- vampire's parent. You're literally known as the mother or father of that vampire child. Um, and then the witches with their covens and that. And the demons have none of that. And, and I, they're not actively discouraged from building that. And, and they can't build it because they're not allowed to get together. And I'm just like wow why i'm feeling so many things right now i i feel like i need to like go on a rampage reread everything and then write a dissertation on um the oppression of demons 
within Deborah Harkness's world. Yeah, because <laughs> it does feel like that. Because yeah, they massively. Are very much looked down on as the youngest, right? Mm-hmm. Even though, similarly to the witches, they have the same lifespan, typically yeah. as humans. Um, the witches, they have, you know, you, they have their family grimoire. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, th- the fact that. Um, Diana in the books knows exactly who she's descended from. She knows her line all the way back to the Salem witch trials and beyond. Yeah. That's madness to me to be able to like know that history. Absolutely. And beyond even the way that humans know their history. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the ghosts are in the house. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. So she knows all of her family going way back on a very personal level. And then for vampires, they have the original life as a human their original family which comes with trauma because you know as a vampire you then see those family members dying off and everything but you're then embraced into a new family which comes with cousins and aunts and uncles and it's so extended Mm. and super complicated yes and especially when we're talking about the sort of medical history of families it's like one of those key parts of the book is the idea of the blood sickness yes. that is passed down from vampire to vampire with a percentage chance of you having blood madness, whatever. Yeah. And you just look at that and you just think, well, you know exactly where this came from. You mm-hmm. know, you know, you know, every time Matthew made a child, he knew that there was a percentage chance of that child. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's one of the bits that actually again with Matthew pisses me off in the book it's the fact that Marcus is not aware of it yes I'm like it's irresponsible of you not to have told him yeah he especially when we know that the consequences of the coven that he started in New Orleans and what happened there and how many of his own children he saw die and the fact that Matthew at no point explained any of this to his son is medical abuse like that's abusing yeah yeah it's it, it's violence that is yeah. so abusive you know to to have uh oh god i've lost his name what's his name not Matthew. marcus marcus uh to have marcus go out and create his own children people that he loved and wanted to you know live out his his unlife with um to then have them thoroughly killed off and destroyed and without ever knowing why yeah, the fact that it takes until the third book for him to discover it yeah. is just unacceptable. Like, it just seems insane. And I know they do this big thing in the books about the whole sort of currency of the vampires being their secrets. But I don't think you should be allowed to keep that away from somebody who it math. It, if it wasn't going to impact him, I can see there being an argument for, well you don't have the blood sickness. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as with any disease, human or inhuman, it's, there's it's a chance knowing, of passing it It's on. knowing uh, I have the recessive gene for whatever, you know, disease, uh, and knowing that if I have a child, there is X amount of percentage that they will have it. I now have that information and can make the decision of, do I want to, to risk that? You know, is it a 10% risk? Is it a 90% risk? And Marcus was never given that. Yeah. Never given the opportunity to know I carry this gene in me and if I create a a family, I'm going to 
Especially because when you when you're you know and we're talking about child and all that kind of stuff, but it's not like the way humans have children. Yes. It's not like you know. There's a certain extent to it which parents might not want to know because they don't want it to influence their decision about keeping a baby. Yeah. Because especially and my mum was talking to me about this actually not that long ago because one of the things I offered to her in the hospital was, do you want to test to see if your baby has a higher likelihood of having Down syndrome? Um, my mum was like, no, because I don't want to know if that would affect the way I feel about this baby. Mm. Like, if my baby has Down syndrome, my baby has Down syndrome. Yeah. And I will deal with that as a parent and they will still be my child. I will still love them as much mm. as any other child. But I think, she was like, I think it would hurt me to even have to think about whether or not that would affect my decision to keep this child. Yeah. Um, but with vampires, it's such a weird I know. transition. <laughs> but with vampires... It's a fully-fledged person that you are inviting into immortality. Who has their own life, yeah. has their own things going on. It's yeah. in the position as an adult to yeah. make an informed decision about something. And you're something. denying them the right to know that if they are transitioned into a vampire they have an X percent chance of yeah. having blood rage. And it was one of those things that I really enjoyed in the series was the opening of the first series where it's Marcus and his friend gets hit by the car yes, and he tries to bring him back. And the thing he says is, I took his death from him. Yes. He died panicked, afraid, staring at the bloody mouth of a, a friend who he thought was human. Yeah you know, I, I took his death from him and there are consequences to those kind of decisions. And I think Marcus would have been far slower to make that decision mm-hmm. if he'd known that he was carrying this disease yeah. that could make him not only, because it wasn't just a risk for him either. It was a, if the congregation find out that any of us have this blood sickness, we are all mm-hmm. at risk yeah. from them. You should read the uh, the fourth book. So there's the Times Convert, which is Marcus's story. Um, and it's split 50-50 between uh, the modern day and his uh, what he's up to now. Mm. Uh, and his backstory, his history. Um, I'll be honest. I tend to not really enjoy, like going back to the backstory of a character. Yeah, I hate it. Um, so I... <laughs> I think it's a really lazy way to do exposition. <laughs> yeah, so I may have listened to it on Audible at quite an advanced speed. <laughs> only slowing down... Oh, Marcus, 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 Phoebe, 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 Phoebe. <laughs> slowing down for when it got to the Marcus and Phoebe parts. But there was some really interesting stuff about, you know, his hot-headedness, his um, his recklessness, his just very Gryffindor nature. Um, <laughs> but it, for me, it felt too much like trying to shoehorn in a whole bunch of stuff about the American right. Revolution. Was it, or was it Civil War with him? I want to say Revolution. Okay. I wa- this, is how, this is how fast I listened to it. <laughs> I didn't take anything in but i can tell you how much i love him and phoebe so okay, that's the important that's thing. what i took from it because i, I want to say revolution oh but it could be civil war i thought it was civil war in the books but which then brings up another question moving on to other types of vampires is why are there so many confederate vampire soldiers off the top of my head 
what's his name from Twilight? Oh yeah, you're right. Bill. And and Bill, Bill Wet Blanket from True Blood. Bill Wet Blanket being his official Jasper name. Jasper and Bill. Jasper and Bill. <laughs> what? Why? It feels. Stephanie Meyer. Did you choose to make your Civil War vampire a Confederate? Why? I I find the whole Confederacy obsession union thing. like you lost it's just so weird that so much of america wants to celebrate losing a war losing a war and wants to be like oh but you know we should regain it and oh by the way it has nothing to do with slavery honest <laughs> absolutely nothing i swear it doesn't but your australian okay. really came out there <laughs> <laughs> it has absolutely nothing to do with slavery <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, the, these Americans trying to be like, oh no, the reason we're obsessed with, you know, Confederate soldiers and the Civil War has nothing to do with racism or slavery, I swear. Because I it, swear. It's one of those things where there aren't a huge number of wars within recent memory, and I know that people like to celebrate ancestors who yes. have been part of those. Yeah. You know, in the same way that, you know, in, in the UK, it's a World War II obsession in... Yeah. You know, Europe, it's often World War Two or... But you know what? No one in Germany is, like, looking at... Well, okay, first off, there are definitely people in Germany who are like, oh, but Hitler, yay. Yeah, but like, they're having a far-right resurgence at the it moment. Is, but... it, is, it is not as popular as the Confederacy. Like, no one, no one there is like, oh, but actually, it didn't have anything to do with all of that bad stuff. We just wanted... So states rights states rights German state right like okay okay <laughs> you mean like the right to own other humans oh yeah that it w- was that what you wanted <laughs> like uh I I am I am team bring down all the fucking statues like couldn't give a shit about what some old white man who you know made a bunch of money off of colonialism or slavery or whatever achieved in his <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> Bristol, like <laughs> achieved in his like oh he achieved so much okay cool now tell me how he achieved it with what money yeah with what resources you know like absolutely not in this day and age in this economy uh <laughs> should we be celebrating these people and if you want to celebrate them you really need to sit down with some books okay and some educators give yourself a bit of context uh-huh and understand it and get over yourself about like oh, but patriotism and nationalism and uh, none of it matters. None of it matters. As someone who has lived in three countries and, uh, you know, Wales and Cornwall as well, which (laughs) honestly count as their own countries. Wales is a principality. (laughs) Every time, every time. Wales Let's be real. Let's be real. Wales is a separate country and Cornwall wishes it was. If Cornwall... Could uh, place like detonations and bombs and whatnot along the Tamar and just jettison jettison themselves away. (laughs) They absolutely would. Anything past the Tamar is up north and is uh, England. Did I ever tell you about the time I was on a train down to Cornwall uh, with a friend who was coming down to visit for the first time? And um, as we got over the Tamar, the announcer came on the uh, the overheads and was like. 
Right, we're now in Cornwall, so if you could all get your passports out, that would be great. <laughs> and my friend was like, I didn't bring my passport, and I was like, it was a joke! Cornwall is in England! <laughs> I had the same joke on the train when passing into Wales. Yeah. <laughs> because at least, at least with Wales, like, if you're driving in, you do have to go through the toll. Yeah. Um, so you have to stop and you have to pay something, but you don't have to show your passport. It's fine. Um, it's also it costs you money to enter Wales, but it is free to leave, <laughs> <laughs> which I always find hilarious. Um, but going back to uh, yeah, just uh, why are you obsessed with these these times in history? Like, why do you consider them to be? I think it's because to a certain extent, it's within living history, and nobody wants to think that their great grandparents were part of this great evil. Mm. Um, because on an individual basis, if you're talking about actual individuals who took part, a lot of it was on, along ge- geographical lines, which means that it really didn't matter what you personally thought about the actual reasons for the war. You there was just, an army coming. You had to... You had to defend, yeah. you know, or you got whipped up. And there are, you know, a lot of reasons for individuals to have taken part in the Civil War. But that doesn't then erase the fact that the fact of what the civil war was actually about yeah and it doesn't erase the fact that that was the south effectively committing an act of terrorism mm-hmm. against the union yeah um and it's you know and it's it's not like i don't understand difficult history yeah yeah you know i'm english like we've got a lot of it you've got a lot of it <laughs> You know, and, and, and as, as an Australian as well, yeah, we've got a lot of it. You know, we went over to Australia with our convicts and whatnot, and we fucked shit up yeah. in a bad way. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the legacy that we've left behind in Australia is, is, is terrible. Yeah. Um, to the point where one of the things that I found out, so I loved it in first year of uni um, in our critical theory module, there was a week dedicated to the idea of identity and like who are you and what it what it means to be you and what represents being you and in that same week i found out that i've lost my australian citizenship um so i was having an existential crisis of oh my god i like am i australian am i not what is going on um and i had to contact i had to do like a whole bunch of stuff contacting australia house in london and traveling up there and um and all of this stuff and discovered some interesting things about how you get citizenship in australia uh one of the most interesting being that if i had been born a year earlier i would have gotten automatic uh, citizenship for life uh like literally a year earlier on my birthday citizenship for life but because I was born exactly one year later uh, and I left the country before I was 10 years old, I don't have automatic citizenship for life. I have to uh, bring up uh, proof of my mum's citizenship. Um, but uh, long story short, I am estranged from my mother. So I would have to do a Freedom of Information Act uh, request and all of this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, this is like so much trouble. And I was crying to my uh, professor about, you know, identity and I don't know who I am and blah, blah, blah. Um, But one of the things that I discovered is that no matter if you, no matter what, when you were born, if there's this entire period of history 
um, that goes right up until I believe the 70s um, where Aboriginal children were just straight up taken from their families and given up for adoption abroad. They these these families didn't want their children taken. They didn't need like obviously some people do need to have their children taken away, and some people do give up their children for adoption. But that was not the case of any of these children. They were stolen, and they were sent to Europe. They were sent to America, uh, North America, and whatnot. Um, and so the Australian government, in the last I think it's like 10, 20 years, has had to issue massive apologies and just basically state show your adoption certificate um from those dates and we will just give you automatic australian mm. citizenship because we done fucked up <laughs> and i think it's great that they're acknowledging that but they're not acknowledging so much more like the fact that aboriginal people used to be classified under flora and fauna in australia jesus so you know because i know they had so i'm half canadian and there are a lot of issues with the way that first nation people were treated in canada and mm -hmm. obviously the us as well um and it really dramatically changes from province to province how well they're treated now yeah um and it always just you know i, I went to a couple of museums when i went to stay with my aunt in montreal for a couple of months and some of the stuff is just horrifying. Mm -hmm. Like the forced sterilization of women. Yeah. The way that the language was eradicated. Uh, you know, it's the things you do to remove an identity from an entire yeah. people. Yeah. That just completely eradicates a culture in a really unpleasant way. Yeah. Um, well, not that there's a pleasant way to eradicate <laughs> a culture, but yeah. You know, and it's it's one of those things where it's it's mortifying to think that you as especially as a, a white western mm -hmm. person have directly um benefited benefited yeah. from the fact that your ancestors were like raping and pillaging their way across mm -hmm. other countries like some uh, you just think about the history of imperialism within oh, i just what we did to india what yeah we did to, yeah huge swathes of africa like there are some really traumatic things that we as a group of people um are not responsible for because nobody is alive anymore yeah. who did those things but you have benefited from them mm -hmm. and it, i think a lot of people f would prefer to ignore that part yeah. of history rather than admit that okay so you're not directly responsible for what happened mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you don't have to be sensitive to it yeah. and do everything you can to make reparations for it like yeah. that it's things like the british museum why do we have all this stuff that we stole uh -huh. let's give it back yeah <laughs> yeah you know it, it it is documented that we stole this stuff you know yeah. like it's actually documented how they uh smuggled them out how they listed them as lost or whatever um to to get them out of the country and how they realized that you know oh well people are coming on this week so we're going to get them out few days before whatever and for us to still be standing by because the british museum has a statement on its website where in the most british friendliest terms possible it says nah it's all right <laughs> i just i'm gonna keep this shit <laughs> because it's the idea because always the one argument that i'm like it might have some sway but because you've done it on such dramatic scale to so many cultures you've got not a single leg to stand on is when there is unrest in a country 
um, quite frequently that country's culture is destroyed due yes. to the unrest. Yes. And you've seen it, oh, like, all in of Syria the... Syria and... And Iran and yeah. all of the wonderful mm-hmm. culturally, historic, like, important places that yeah. have been destroyed due to what's happening there. And, you know, particularly with Iran, like... Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not exactly their fault that mm-hmm. a lot of that was happening. Um, and doing, like, the, the UN has a culture sector yeah, that go go in specifically to try and protect that yes, kind of thing yeah um and that's wonderful but it, the whole idea being that you protect it so you can then give it back yeah, that's so that's you don't, it's not you different. protect it and then you get to keep it like that's yeah. not the way this yeah. works <laughs> it's, it's not a favor then it's not yeah. something you're doing for history yeah it's something where you've stolen something perfect, you quite like it now and yeah. you don't want to give it back a perfect example of one of the statements that they've made in the past is you know they didn't want to give back the elgin marbles uh, the fact that i'm calling the the, the um elgin marbles they're not the elgin marbles no. the it's the marbles of the parthenon yeah um so one of the reasons that they have given in the past is that oh well greece wouldn't be able to look after them properly and Greece's response is fantastic. They have a museum that is near um, to the Parthenon uh, where they have basically set up where all of these, so all the marbles that they do have, they have set them up and they have left blank spaces where all of the marbles that are in the British Museum should be. And they're oh just, they God. just have like light where it should be. And it's a big, it's like in the shape of the Parthenon and all of this stuff. And it's a big like, mm-hmm, I'm sorry, you were saying, you were saying <laughs> like that you don't have a leg to stand on. Just no, fucking give it back. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, it's, it's one of those things where, and there's it's that very, well, you know, one of my ancestors paid for this and therefore we oh, own it. Well oh, really? <laughs> You know, perfect. like if you pay for stolen goods, it's still stolen. It's still stolen goods. Yeah. That's the way that law works. Just yeah. because you're very rich and you come from a very rich family doesn't mean that the basic. If you stole a, if you paid for a piece of art that was stolen by the Nazis from a Jewish family, and it's proven, you have to give that back. Yeah. Absolutely. End of discussion. No fucking question. <laughs> <laughs> and another argument that gets said all the time, which I think is the stupidest one, is, oh, but then what will be in our museums? Oh no, how will we have anything to go and see? And I'm like, well, do you know what? I went and saw Tutankhamun last year because he went on tour. <laughs> <laughs> My man. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> this was pre-COVID. My man went on tour and he stopped over in London <laughs> and uh, you know, me and a couple of friends, we went to go see Toots. Yeah, that's what will happen, and it's already what happens because the terracotta soldiers, the terracotta army from China, that has gone on tour a few times. Museums lend stuff to each other all the time, and that is what would happen if we gave everything back, or. If a country doesn't have the facilities to look after something, we should rent it and be like, yeah. okay, we will pay you this amount of money so that we can look after the item, so that we can keep hold of it. And then when you are in a better situation and you are able to uh, have the kind of environment and protection that is needed uh, for these items, then 
just ask for them back and we'll give them to you but until then we'll we'll look after this we'll look after them for you. and then it becomes an actual service that you're doing especially it becomes it's, actual conservation yeah because it is we're you know the uk is an incredibly wealthy country you know we are i'm we're both very privileged to have been able to live here mm-hmm. and to have benefited from the fact that we live in a very well developed very financially mostly stable um, <laughs> country um and there's a certain extent to which it's your responsibility to the history of the rest of the world yeah to h- help conserve that history mm-hmm. in a way that isn't destructive to living people yeah my number one thing whenever i think about any situation whatsoever i always ask myself if i look back on this okay or if i was going to read this in a history book would i consider myself to be in the wrong and if the answer is yes then i need to do the opposite of that Mm. you know am i going to look back on this and be like "Mm, you shouldn't have done that it's the idea of being a good citizen of the world yeah like we all live on this planet and there are things that we can do as people that make living on this planet for other people easier Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the Elgin Margles are going to make Margles. Margles. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Those Margles. Those Margles. Maybe that's what they should do. Is they just change it to Margles, steal the Elgin Marbles back, and yes. they're like, "We still have the Margles." They're made of foam. Yeah. Oh, and I do need to make a point as well. Look, okay, seeing the real thing is honestly no different from seeing a replica these days yeah. i couldn't fucking tell you the difference yeah you're not allowed to touch it you can't lick it How I, are you gonna... <laughs> which I was very disappointed by when we went to see the rosetta stone and i was like all i want to do is lick it exactly. <laughs> and this is why i should not be allowed in museums <laughs> yeah and when you go to the museum anyway and they're like oh this is a replica of so and so and i'm like nice i don't know what the original fucking looks like I'm assuming this is a good I'm assuming this is a good replica. <laughs> not not like, you know, it's not like those um I always think back to the wax museum that oh, we dear. saw in yeah, Prague. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't go into the wax museum, but we stood outside it and they had some <laughs> therefore. <laughs> therefore, no, they had some of their wax uh models on display and these models were apparently of big name celebrities. <laughs> could not tell you who a single one was there was one that we so eventually bad. worked out was meant to be beyonce i think yeah and we were like is it really? even though, oh. so my my boyfriend's parents um they uh, in non-covid times like to come up and visit us in london and because they've not spent a lot of time in london previously we do a lot of touristy stuff with them which for me is super fun because it's all stuff that i did when i was a kid and then really haven't done since mm. and because both of my parents lived in london for like large portions of their adulthood they're not that interested in a lot of the touristy things so went to the wax museum for the first time ever and i'd never been in one i've never been to the madame two swords in london and i grew up here yes and i've never been and uh james's parents wanted to go and i was like well that you know i've never been that sounds fun and it was surprisingly fun like i was expecting to find it reasonably traumatic because i don't usually (laughs) like those things it's a lot of people but it was surprisingly fun and until you got to the Beyonce one. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, there's a Beyonce one. That's exciting. Went in and I was like, well, that looks nothing like her. <laughs> like all of the other ones, I was like, oh, I can see the resemblance. And I looked at the Beyonce one and I was like, what 
what is this? <laughs> and it was one of the ones that they'd taken, they'd chosen this wax figure as to put in the part where they're explaining how wax figures came to be. So it was all about how Beyonce herself had been involved in the process and like she arrived, they did like fittings and mm. measurements and all of that kind of stuff and they made this figure and they were like, and that's how we make sure all of our figures are super accurate. And I was looking at the end product and just being like, um, <laughs> maybe you want to try that one again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to museums i just fill it with replicate replicas like no one's no one's really gonna care because cause my thing is you know um <laughs> when we were in rome last last uh not last year because last year didn't happen year before year yeah. before um once you've seen one statue you have in fact seen all the statues pretty yeah. much um and you're not aware of it a lot of the time but you are actually seeing replicas most of the time because um the romans and the greeks replicated their own statues um but then also throughout the next thousand years we continued to replicate those statues and sometimes it's only the replicas that exist now rather than the originals that they are based on so already you're interacting with replicas so who cares one statue is another yeah. statue it's like my one of my favorite historical sites in the world is Tintagel. Oh yeah. <laughs> in Cornwall. So it's, uh, for those who don't know, Tintagel is where um, certainly the people who maintained that King Arthur was English <laughs> um, proposed that he was born. So Tintagel, it's right on a cliff edge, on the edge of Cornwall. It's a truly, truly beautiful place. Like it's really dramatically gorgeous. Um, and there is a ruined castle there that you can pay to go take tours of. But my favourite fact about the ruined castle is it was in fact a castle that was built there because they thought King Arthur might have been born there. Mm -hmm. And then they would host people there. And it was effectively a tourist destination yep. that has now <laughs> turned into a ruin <laughs> and is now a tourist destination for us. <laughs> I got into an argument with someone about this because uh, I told them that it was, I think it was Geoffrey of Monmouth. He's the one who was like, this is definitely the place that Arthur was born. And then fast forward a hundred years and someone was probably like, right, well, Geoffrey of Monmouth said it. Yeah. And he's legit. So it's let's the whole build idea of sourcing, right? Sourcing <laughs> history. Like yes. I've got, I found this like kind of scrap of paper that says that this is what has happened, but we have no idea who the author is. We have no idea what his relation to the events that happened. We mm -hmm. don't know if he was there or not. It's like a lot of the Bible is provably was not written at the time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, you're still listening to somebody's yeah fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth version of that story. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to a book at the moment called Queens of Conquest, which is about um, the medieval queens of England, specifically the Norman queens. And A, there's not, an, not a lot <laughs> written about the queens, um, especially from their own perspective. There are some letters, but not a lot. And B, the amount of times I hear the words oh, and so-and-so who wrote on uh, Matilda um was a contemporary who wrote 50 years after she died i'm like okay so how does he know yeah. what the fuck was happening with matilda and he was a teenager yeah. somewhere else 
Yeah. You know, and it'll be like, oh, she was so overjoyed when her husband, you know, William came back to see her after being away for a long time. And I'm like, mate, two chapters ago, you told me that there's a chronicle written at the time about how he thought she might have cheated on him. So he dragged her naked through the streets and beat her. I don't think she was particularly overjoyed any time her husband came home. Uh, this this feels like the words of men. <laughs> Not the words of Matilda of Flanders herself. Thank you. Um, but the Tentagel thing is really interesting because that was the point that I was going to make earlier about who cares about replicas? Because actually, for me, I would rather go and visit a place of history rather than just look at an object of history. But there's also the element to which, um, if you can afford to go to the place of history... Yeah, massively yeah. so. Um, it's the wonderful thing about museums, is it makes history accessible for yeah. people. Absolutely. I just don't think that replicas would make that much of a no, difference. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. And I, I, what I, one of the other things I find funny about Tintagel is, so a couple of years ago, they wanted to put a carving of Merlin's face into one of the cliff faces yeah um and all these people are like how you know how dare you disturb a historical site and like <laughs> and i'm like it's not like the whole point of history is that it's living mm-hmm. this yeah. particular thing of rock is not going to be something that has a it, this is a cliff face it's a cliff mm-hmm. face that they carved it on it wasn't like it was yeah part of the ruins and i, I mean was like, that adds a really nice vibe to What's the place in America with the president faces on it? Because that's what I'm. That's what I'm seeing. Oh, now. Mount Rushmore. I'm. I'm seeing Mount Rushmore and Tintagel. <laughs> yeah. Just and and also Merlin being the BBC Merlin, and yeah, it's, just yeah, it's just his a, face a doing gangly, different expressions. Gangly teenager, like yeah, just over and over. That it. That's beautiful. But there's also the Mount Rushmore thing, right? That's on a a native. Yes. It, it's on native land. Yeah. Zero permission was asked, uh-huh. and they were kicked out of it. You know, just like guys. At a certain point, history is not not the most important thing. Mm-hmm. The most important thing is the people that you mm-hmm. you still have. Yeah, you know, and that, that's why when it comes to history, I really like um, like heritage over mm. a lot of kind of museums. So that kind of, you know. Um, yeah, we might not have all of the original stuff, but you know what we do have. We have some replica costumes that you should definitely try on. Yeah. Uh, like Birmingham Museum is a great example. I, I really love it. So they have an entire, they have a section which is dedicated to all of the, I think it's called the Staffordshire Horde, which is a whole bunch of um, gold that was found by some farmer. Um, and it ended up being like the biggest mound, biggest collection of like is swords one... and gold and... Is that the one that they found the boat? I don't think it is. Okay. This was like in a field and they just found yeah. like loads. Oh, maybe, maybe. No, but I think I, I, there would have been a boat in Birmingham Museum if there was a boat. Oh, I yeah. Know. And I, because they recently did a Netflix series called The Next, a Netflix series called The Dig ah. um, that is based on the one where they found a boat, which oh, was okay. under a burial mound. And I can't remember where it oh, was. Oh, okay. So the Staffordshire Horde was found about maybe 15, 20 years ago. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so in my mind, I think it involved some farmer and a metal detector and he found... That's kind of how I hope all things are found. I hope all things, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he found this massive hoard and it's a really great collection, but it, it's, it's not that interesting to look at because it's just loads of gold coins and yeah. a couple sword like, hilts. All you really want to do is 
put them in a pile and then sit yeah. on them. Yeah. <laughs> but what Birmingham Museum have done, which is so great, is rather than just be like, look at all our gold, uh, they take you through the process of how, of the archaeology, of how they collected it, how they cleaned it, how they examined it. There's loads of like slides that you can look at and see what, you know, what it looked like. There's parts of the collection that are still covered in mounds of dirt because they're like this is what it looked like when we got it you can barely tell that there's anything there there's just like a small glint mm. um and then there's brushes so that you can like try doing the, the the brushing away and everything um and then also they've got a mini mead hall because then they tell you there's like a, a, a painted wall which tells you all about the lives of the people that would have been around at this time um and it's not like you know fancy uh people it's everyday working people um um, and they 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 give you there's a chest and you can dress up in the costumes which i have done multiple times love it um you can play some of the music uh there's a button where if you press it someone will recite beowulf to you in in yeah in um old english and whatnot and there's also a a game board um of nine maidens i think it's called um which me and uh my friend oscar tried to play and we realized that really it's about whoever goes first is definitely gonna win <laughs> so it's a bit like uh knots and crosses what's that one yeah it's a little bit knots and crosses like <laughs> yeah. um but it is fun and i really enjoyed that collection because it was more than just hey look at these items i really felt like i got taken through a journey of Mm. you know on the one hand here's the modern perspective here's how we Mm. got all of these items and here's the process and then on the other hand here's the history and then also there's a little dim lit room where it's like and now look at the sparkly gold (laughs) exactly i need some sparkly gold in my museum yes yeah (laughs) no absolutely and i think it's where small museums no, not the Birmingham is a small museum. But comparative to the museums like, in London. The London ones. Um, but even, like, there's a little museum in Newbury. Yeah. And that has some lovely stuff in it. And because none of it was too precious, mm-hmm. it meant that they would take it out and, like, let people interact with it and explain yeah. how it came to be there. Because the Battle of Newbury, you know, it wasn't a huge battle, but it was a, certainly a big enough one. Didn't even know there was a Battle of Newbury. <laughs> yeah, I think it was in... Oh, I'm going to get this completely wrong, but I oh. think it was, like, Tudor period. <laughs> I'm so questioning myself. It'll be, um... Beep! Insert accurate information here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's things like they had lots of arrowheads and coins yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and it, it always becomes more, history becomes more interesting when you have a connection to it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, even if that connection is geography. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, for certainly for the like kids in school to be able to have access to history in that, in that way yeah. was just really, really cool. Yeah. And it's so important how you do a an exhibition or how you present a collection um because it really can impact on what you take away from it and whether you understand Mm. it completely it's about giving context um i was talking to jen about this so we've got a friend who works in heritage um and one of the things that they've they've been doing recently is there are some problematic areas about how they came to get 
some of their items, who they were funded by previously, all of that mm. kind of stuff. And so instead of um, getting rid of or um, pulling down statues or any any of that, because the way that, you know, this statue is in a museum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Is, you know, um, where people actually don't do go to learn about history. It's yeah. not just on the street celebrating somebody. Um, <laughs> is they've made an active effort effort to put context beside this kind of, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is the guy who um, funded a lot of this. He's the person who sort of made this all happen. But at the same time, he did this, this and this. And yeah. It's pretty terrible. And this is where the money that he got to fund this came from, which is also terrible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just acknowledging... You know what this is reminding me of? This is reminding me of being six years old in Australia and being taken on a school trip to a farm, okay? Where they were like, go forth, pet all the animals, make friends with the goats and the cows and everything. Because once you've done that, well, they're going to take you through the process of where your meat comes from. <laughs> <laughs> Context is key. Context. Um, so there was some, there were some traumatized children, but mostly we all just came away being like, "Cool, we understand where our meat comes from," and also, you know, cows are nice; they like to lick your fingers. That was great. Yeah, um, and I think that's really important. Yeah, massively. It is that context point, but I've just looked down at the timer and it, we've been talking for an hour. <laughs> We also managed to not really talk about um, much in the way of popular culture or anything this week. This week, we were like very good at sticking to a topic. We actually talked about Discovery of Witches. We properly <laughs> talked about Discovery of Witches. Oh, we should definitely put a spoiler warning in as well. <laughs> yeah. I hope you guys have read Discovery of Witches. Or like, you're not too upset. <laughs> <laughs> write it in the description yeah um it'll be fine spoiler warning actual discussion about discovery yes well i'll check the time signature and be like hey if you don't want to be spoiled avoid this period of time absolutely but yeah thank you i guess for tuning in again um if you have if you have hello if this is your first one hello also uh if this is your last one well fuck you Uh, please. I curse you and your family. <laughs> uh, please do leave us some feedback. Um, let us know what you're enjoying, what you're not. Um, and go check us out on uh, various social media. We are out there. Like sort aliens. Of. Sort of. Yes. Maybe. I used to work in social media and I don't want to do this stuff anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We're also not like aliens because I don't want to kidnap you. you well, know. I, I can't. Don't speak for me here. I might want to kidnap some of them. <laughs> True. I don't. I don't particularly like people, uh, so I don't really want to invite more of them into my life. This is know. true. It depends if you have pets. If you have dogs. Oh, now dogs or cats or basically anything. Cuddly. I was going to say anything furry, but also lizards and snakes. I'm not on board with spiders, though. Just putting not that on board there. with spiders unless it's like really cute. In which case, I can see the pictures, but I don't think I want it. Oh, near it's me. like that TikTok of the elderly spider. Yeah. And they built a ladder for oh, him to get to a special spider, place. You know, and, yeah. Like, close that up, spider. Close wonderful. up to spiders. They are actually kind of cute, but in real life, I I'm like. I deal with the way they move. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. <laughs> and I guess we'll speak soon. Bye bye.